This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. So I want to actually unpack this scripture a little verse by verse. And so I want you to uh, hope you will be patient with me as we do this. Because this is a scripture that many of us are familiar with. This is the story of Jesus going out and to be tempted in the wilderness. And like many stories in the Bible, we kind of hold them at arm's length. um, And we observe them from afar. Uh, But the... I think if we kind of get into the text a little, we'll see some meat in here that maybe is kind of interesting to engage. So yesterday, last Sunday, I did something different than I had planned. And so I didn't have a chance to talk about the baptismal story. But the important part of the baptismal story for helping us get started this morning is this idea that there is Jesus, this village boy, Right? Nobody. <laughs> and he walks into the water uh, to, to meet with John the Baptist into the Jordan River, just like hundreds of people had. You know, this, is not, this is not just one person alone on the riverbank walking into John the dipper-inner, the dunker guy. This is a whole bunch of people. And Jesus would have traveled with an entourage. It's not safe to travel by yourself. His brothers would have come with him. Other men from the village would have come with him. So there would be a bunch of them. And he walked into the water, this nobody, and he gets donked in. And as he comes up, the heavens split open, and light comes down. And the dove, the spirit like a dove, comes down from the heavens and there's this huge big booming voice you are my son in whom I am well pleased well this is terrifying imagine being on the bank and seeing that imagine having crawled up into a eucalyptus tree and looking down water everywhere and the throngs of people and I think everything would have stopped that the thunder would have caused folks to stop and pay attention. And suddenly all eyes are on this guy who has all of a sudden come into something amazing. And the preposition here is translated as like from Mark, like a dove coming down on him. But that's actually not the preposition at all. That's safer for us to hear in our Western Bibles. But the Translation has actually came down into him. Their understanding, their cosmology, their metaphysics was that spirit came into you, that our bodies were in fact porous and we could be entered by spirits only through the openings in our bodies, but just in general. So suddenly Jesus has become possessed by some kind of spirit, some kind of power. What is it? 
And only in recognizing that anxiety of everybody on the bank do you get why suddenly he is thrown into the wilderness to be tested. What power is this? Who is this village boy, Joseph's son, Mary's son, and they weren't even married if you know what I'm talking about. How on earth does God say this is God's son? And so Jesus has to show that by the spirit within him, he is in fact God's son. And the next part of the story is the testing. The only person who doesn't go directly into the testing is Luke. Luke interjects that um, lineage that we talked about a couple of Sundays back. Luke ends with son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God, our gargantuan honor claim even to surpass Caesar. Who is this joker from Nazareth? It's terrifying. And he is flushed out, driven out into the wilderness, and here's the other little play of pronouns in there. He goes out in the spirit to the wilderness. He is not going to have a rational experience out there. He's not going to be studying theology. He is going to be demonstrating to us that he is the son of God by being tempted by none other than the Satan, the one who makes the argument, the one who tests you to see if you are really faithful, the one that can see if, if really push comes to shove, are you really in God's corner? Do you really believe all that nonsense about the kingdom of God or not? And the first thing that the devil does, the first thing that Diablo does is he says, if you are the son of God, if you are, speak to the stone and it will become a loaf of bread. Once again, English, so horrible. This is middle deponent for it will become. There is a, con this isn't about a magic trick, a wizard saying, Mr. Stone, I am a magic guy. Boom, you are now a loaf of bread. This is about speaking the word of God, the very creation, the words of creation. That if he is really in the power, if the spirit of God is really in him, the word that he speaks will have creatory, creation power. And the stone itself, middle deponent, will participate in that transformation into bread. It's deep. It's really deep. And Jesus answers with the words of Deuteronomy. Jesus says, it is written, by bread only man will live. Not by bread only will man live. The Greek is, sorry, the syntax on the Greek is very different. The Byzantine version adds more. It adds the rest of the, Deuteronomy, the Deuteronomic verse which is all of 8.3, it adds, um, but the one, it is not by the power of God that people are fed, not the bread itself, but the one who creates and procures the bread. So once again, if we read it flatly, and English, gives, English often takes the power out, 
If we read it flatly, it just seems like, well, of course, men don't just leave on bread alone. But the, the, the verse here tells us that the, it is not just the bread that is baked, but the whole how bread even comes about through the wheat, through the planting, through God's work of creation itself. God's, God's care, God's work, God's creation. This is the answer of a loyal son. He doesn't use his own words. He doesn't interject what he was thinking. He literally repeats the words of the father. By any Middle Eastern standard of the time, this is the exact right answer. So the devil tries again. The devil takes him up onto a high place and shows him all the kingdoms so we've got some visioning going on, all the kingdoms of the inhabited world ahead of him. And he does this in an instant, and the word instant here is great. It's like tiny spot, like a little spot on a bird's wing, or a little tiny uh, period on a sentence. This is a vision moment. This is an alternate states of consciousness experience. Jesus, in this point of time, is shown this whole inhabited earth and all the kingdoms. And the devil says to him, I will give this whole domain and the glory of all these kingdoms that has been entrusted to me, and I will give it to anyone I want. Once again, so flat. This whole domain, the power, the word in there is exousia, which means power, means authority type of power. The literal definition here is power, authority to do, abuse of authority, license, arrogance, office, abundance of means, pomp, the ability to parade around and other people have to fetch you stuff. This is worldly power, exousia. This is dangerous power. All of us have seen this power at work. This is the kind of power that destroys life. And these kingdoms have been handed over to the devil. And the devil, Diablo, uses it to position himself as if he is the broker of the power of God. I will give you this. You are lower down on the honor chain. I will show that you're not really a son of God because I am the broker of God's power and you have to accept it from me. The Byzantine text adds something to Jesus' reply that helps us understand this relationship. Jesus says, you don't go first, buddy. He says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. It is written that the Lord your God will worship him alone and will serve. So this is service in the sense of religious rites and duties, putting incense on the altar, praying, caring for God's people, loving your neighbor. This is all service to God. So Jesus rejects the claim that the devil has the authority and that he is got to go to the devil for any kind of power. 
This is really important for later. I'm going to tell you a little story later that helps us see that relationship. And the devil then brought him into Jerusalem and stood at the pinnacle, stood him at the pinnacle of the temple, high up on that ladder, which I'm not going to go to the top of. <laughs> Luckily, I am not having a vision experience. Watch, in the middle of the night, I'll wake up sweating. Oh no, I was at the top of that ladder. I didn't know what to do. But up the devil puts Jesus. Obviously, this is a alternate state of consciousness experience. And says, well, if you are the son of God then, since, you know, so far, I'm not getting very far in my testing, you know, throw yourself down. Because God will protect you and make sure that you don't even hit your foot. Should one of your feet get close to a rock, the angels will be right there. Nothing will happen to you. Well, Jesus repeats what he had said before and said, it is said, don't test the Lord your God. Now this is really interesting because now he's not claiming that God, that Diablo is testing him, Jesus. He is claiming that Diablo is actually testing God. The word here is ekperirazo, out of the borders. The root of this Greek takes us into uh, uh, the, this idea of borders or to try and attempt something. It's out of this, out of this border. He's, he's, he's away from known territory. These are the things you're supposed to do. Just bust out and do whatever. Jesus is saying, don't test the Lord your God. Don't ask God to go outside of the borders. And we get the sense that God could do it. Right? Because God is God. And the verse here is drawn from Deuteronomy 6.16. This is the verse. Don't test, same word, ekperirazo, the Lord your God, the way you frustrated, which is also the same word, ekperirazo, him at Massah. So this was during the Exodus when the people whined and complained and argued with each other and didn't want to follow what they were supposed to do and complained there was no water. And we get the sense that God was pretty tested at that time. This, don't test God. You're not going to like what happens next. And you better hope that God's having a good day. So you see the progression here. The Diablo first wants to establish, are you the son of God? And Jesus passes that test. How are you going to come to that power? Through me. And Jesus passes that test. Not through you. Get behind me. And then God, God's self being tested. Well, if you're the favorite one, let's see what God will do. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he withdrew till the next time. Now, this isn't like 10 o'clock tomorrow. It's Kairos time. Who knows when? The opportune, maybe providential moment. Maybe the very moment when Jesus is confronting Pilate or the very moment when he is healing someone in the marketplace. Does 
Jesus ever experience that temptation again. Certainly the Pharisees poke at him and poke at him. So 40 days and 40 nights are important here because 40 days is the number of days in which you can surrender without any loss of honor. So the devil is not defeated and not diminished, merely backing up a little. Okay, whatever. Let's see what happens next. Really important part. So then we go back to that first, after the baptism when the power goes into Jesus, the spirit goes into Jesus, we end with a 414, Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. And this is not the word exousia, worldly power, authority, power over, power to squish your neighbor. This is the word dunamai, my favorite word. Well, I have a lot of favorite words, but I really like this word. And it's almost always attributed to God. And it means to be capable, powerful. God is doing it. It is not a word that I have read. I'm sure at some point I'm going to read it associated with a person's ability and Yet, as yet, I haven't come across that reference. I've only seen it, and it's a red flag tip-off that God is doing it, not a person. Person, human capability, and strength is a different word. So he returns in the power. He left with the spirit inside him. And my goodness, if word doesn't spread, this guy really is the son of God. This nobody with this gargantuan claim of honor. So as a story unfolds, it is being shown to us. Jesus is not studying this at an arm's length safe distance. He is experiencing it. He is starving. He is in the desert. He is alone except for haunting, tempting visions. He has just had the most amazing baptismal experience with water everywhere and the voice of God. And now that same power threw him into the wilderness, a place so dangerous that people become possessed and they can die. This is a place of prolonged spiritual attack and every human part of him would be wide-eyed and terrified. The hearers of the story would have heard it out loud, only if you could read. They would hear it with the cultural details filled in, something that we have lost. For the details of the wilderness and the river and the spiritual beliefs of the times cannot be jotted down on the flat letters of the page. They are not asked to be better than the story and stand above it in judgment. We who come to it, to study it, can also stubbornly refuse to be moved by it. But its whole purpose is to move you. We are asked to be wowed and awed and see the miracle of this village man who does fight with the devil by the power that makes him the son of God. 
The gospel writers didn't want to tell you about it. They wanted to show you so that you could see it and feel it and be transformed by it. So this story helps understand, I think, the idea of sudden power on the stage, sudden power illuminated. What do we do with that? My mom and I, we remember this differently, but my mom and I had gone to Seattle. I think it was the first time she'd been to Seattle, and of course we had to go to that little Starbucks at Pike's Market, the first one. It's kind of pokey, but you know, you have to go. It's like a Washingtonian rite of passage. So we went to the Starbucks, and as we are leaving uh, Pikes, and it's more kind of rush hour time, it is literally like inch, inch as we're driving in the car, inch, very frustrating, wait, wait, wait. We're getting closer to the freeway, but it's been a while, and it's still going to be a while, and we are bumper to bumper with all these cars along this side street waiting to move again. The guy in front of us has got a truck with a kind of one of those camper shells on it, like a pickup truck with a camper shell. And he hops out of his truck, and he comes around the back, and he opens the truck, takes out a rifle, closes the thing, goes back and sits in his truck. We all want to know, what is he going to use that power for? Where is his power coming from? And what's he going to do with it? This is the question they had at Jesus' baptism. Oh, my goodness. All this power just suddenly showed up. What's he going to do with it? What's going to happen next? We weren't really sure. Should we duck? Should we call 911? Was it just rattling around in the back of the truck and he's just a rifle guy, so he just grabbed it so it stops doing that? We don't know. I wouldn't have minded testing him a little, coming out from the car. Excuse, excuse me, sir. Yeah. If you are the son of God. <laughs> so we can lose connection with what it really means when that much spiritual power shows up. Because it's not actually how we live our lives. It's not our cosmology. But it's important for us as Christians to think about this because the question can be asked, where is your power coming from? And what are you using it for? So I got to go to the Women's March. And we have a couple pictures to show you here. Uh, I think you recognize some of our folks right in the middle, the sort of joyful, joyful noise. And then my daughter with her sign and the baby and Jacques. And this was the, uh, we were way in the front too. So there's just, there are so many people there. Uh, but I believe this was, this was one of the speakers. And then this is a photo of uh, some of the group from Ashland that went. This isn't all of them by any means. Um, I saw Beth, I saw Jody, I saw um, Karen. Uh, McClintock, I saw um, Elizabeth Hallett, who's kind of one of ours as a Peace House person, so involved with Uncle Foods. Um, what a blessing that was. There were so many people we didn't find each other. And um, so the Women's March, 
uh, has this wonderful vibe. And there's this sense, uh, I was at the Portland March uh, last year, and it's just, wow. I mean, I've been to some marches and stuff, and there's just nothing quite like the vibe that was there last year that repeated this year. It is so easy to focus on the negatives. What are you using your power for? If you use it to shoot your enemies or or just grip the conflict of it and feel that overwhelming anxiety. Well, where is your power? Where is it coming from? What are you doing with it? But this idea of, no, we imagine a better world. We think we can do better. And when the mocking voice, as Therese Lasso says, says, huh, go ahead, hope. <laughs> Let's see how you do with that. You don't have to engage it. You don't have to take that negativity on. You can own and be that lovely vibrating flower in the middle that chooses to mirror God. You don't have to cower in terror of the lawnmower. Where is your power coming from? If you had the power if, you're, if at your baptism, the sky opened up and a voice said, this is my son with whom I am pleased. And believe me, there was a spiritual component when you were baptized that included this. When the spirit came into you, sometimes I think we don't claim that. We're not sure if we can really let ourselves feel that. That's scary, right? But it's there. And we are using it. So find that power and decide what are you going to do? Where is your power coming from? God is showing up. Are you? Can you claim that? Can you be courageous with that? And go out into the world and be that light in the fog. Amen. Let us just take a moment to reflect. <clears throat>